is the Mayfair Witchcast, where I tell my favorite person, me, Tim, my favorite story. So listen along every week as I break down this story chapter by chapter with that insight, me. Warning, we are not professionals. This story contains many triggers. We talk about them as gently as we can. But I'm just a girl telling her husband an amazing story of a family of witches, ghosts, ancient orders, lust, and love. So join us for a read-along in discussion of the lives of the Mayfair witches. Hi, babe. Hello, dear. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Mayfair Witchcast. Today, we are doing chapters 36 and 37. But first, babe, do you remember where we left off last time? Um, not exactly. They were going to Florida. Well, yeah, they're just like going fast in life, buying cars, mm-hmm. living the life. On their way to buy another house, possibly another boat. <laughs> Chapter 36 begins. They rode into the town Fort Walton, Florida, at 8 o'clock after a long, slow crawl out of Pensacola. Traffic is bumper to bumper, and to press on to Dustin was to risk finding no accommodations. So they end up in, like, a dingy Holiday Inn. It's almost unbearable after, like, the luxury that they've been living in. But everything's cool because, like, the beach is right outside the room. First thing they do is they go out to the ocean. They swim in the warm, shallow water under the stars. It's paradise. By Saturday, they're looking for all the available properties. Most of them are all taken up by large resorts. And individual houses are, like, Hard to find and very expensive. It's about three o'clock when they find the house. It's a Spartan modern affair with low ceilings. It's got like a nice picture view of the golf. There's a long pier that goes out over the dunes down to like the beach itself. They like it. The only drawback is that she can't dock the boat there. She has to drive to the other side to the marina. But not that bad considering this place is like very different from san francisco and michael likes it he might even learn to like being on the sweet christine over here their vacation goes on they put an offer on the house it's accepted michael feels at home and on the way back to new orleans michael asks rowan again if she misses california she does not And after a while, she's like, this is our honeymoon, isn't it? He's like, I guess it is. And she's like, no, I mean, like, it's the easy part before you realize what kind of person I really am. And he's like, and what kind is that? She's like, do you want to ruin our honeymoon? (laughs) (laughs) They have cute banter sometimes. He's like, it won't ruin it. What are you talking about? You're the only person in the world I really know, and you're the only one I don't handle literally with kid gloves. I know more about you than you realize. 
And she's like, oh, what would I do without you? And she says that she's figured something out. That he's not going to show himself until he's ready. Michael agrees. He wants you here right now. He's standing back out of the way for you. He showed himself to you that first night just to entice you. Like, this is, gives me the creeps. Why is he so willing to share you? Like, I don't know, but I've given him opportunities and he's not really showing himself. Strange things happen, crazy things, but never really sure. But they say it's not worth dwelling on and they don't want him there with them right now in this conversation. They have a feeling that he'll come soon enough. That's where the first part of this chapter ends. There's a little space and then it picks up again with late that night he woke up in the big hotel bed alone. So Michael finds Rowan crying in the living room. Because she was hoping that she was pregnant. But she is not. They're both a little bit disappointed. But Michael is like really glad that she actually wants a child. And this is when Rowan actually proposes to Michael. And he says yes. And he says, Rowan, nothing in the world would make me happier. But are you sure this is what you want? She's all like, you're not getting away. Michael asks, and what about Mayfair Unlimited? He calls them Mayfair Unlimited. I found that funny. The cousins, the company, you know what they're all going to say. And she's like, do you want to hear what I have to say? We're fools if we don't do it. And he's like, I do. I want to, but I'm 48 years old. I was born the same year as your mother. And I want it with all my heart, but I have to think of you. And she's all, let's have the wedding at First Street. <laughs> <laughs> Just doesn't even pay that any mind. She's like, it'd be perfect out on the beautiful side lawn. Perfect. Like the plan for the hospitals built upon the Mayfair legacy. Perfect. He's not sure why, but he hesitates. He wants this. It's all like too good to be true. He's like, those cousins, they'll draw up all the papers to protect you, the house, the legacy, all that. She's like, yeah, it's like automatic, it's all entailed or something. He's like, I'll sign. And she's like, you know the papers don't mean anything. What I have is yours. And he says, but I, what I want is you. <laughs> and then suddenly, it like hits him and he's like, oh, I'm getting married. <laughs> oh, so cheesy. I'm married. I'm getting married to Rowan, and we we're gonna have a child. And he's happy. I mean, he's almost as scared, but almost not quite. And she says she wants to spend their wedding night at the house, and then go to Florida for the honeymoon. And surely the workman can get the bedroom ready in a couple of weeks and he's like I guarantee it in that big antique bed in the front room he could almost hear the ghost of Belle say how lovely for both of you and that is where chapter 36 ends lovey dovey yeah 
We bought another house. Yay. Are you sure you want to marry me? Yeah. Made it official. Officially engaged. He tries to be like, I'm too old for you, but she, she don't care. <laughs> so, that is what it is. She's not like that young. She's not like, she's like a full grown adult. Yeah. She's not like a baby adult. At least. She's like 21, ain't she? No. There's like a lot more medical school than that. Yeah, you're right. She's like a surgeon. So she's got to be up. Well, I will figure that out. Exactly how old Rowan is. On our break? Yes. <laughs> and when I do, we'll come back and I'll let you know. Because I feel stupid. This is like something I should just know. I'm just thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yep, yeah, we'll be back. No, it was a whole, it was a, a break. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, if we are going on this, this book is written in 1990. And if we're assuming that's the year it takes place, then she'd be 31. And it's 48. Yeah. So, yeah, not, she's old enough. Yeah, doesn't bother me. So on to chapter 37. <laughs> What's that face about? Okay. Get ready for this odd chapter. It begins. Uneasy sleep. She shifted, turned, and put her arms over his back, drawing her knees under his. Warm and snug again. So, Rowan's the big spoon. But what... Tugging at her neck and tangling in her hair and hurting her. And she, like, moves to brush it away, to get it out of her hair. It's cold, pressed up against her, and she doesn't like it. She, like, turns over, but she's still, like, half dreaming. She's in the operating room doing a difficult procedure where she has to envision carefully what she's meant to do. Guide her hands every step with her mind, commanding the blood not to flow, commanding the tissues to come together. And there's a man laying there, slit open from crotch to the top of his head, and he has tiny organs exposed. They're like quivering and red, impossible for his size. Waiting for her somehow to make them grow. She's like, this is too much. I can't do this. I'm a neurosurgeon, not, not a witch. But she can see all the vessels in his arms and legs. Like he's one of those um, clear plastic dummies with like red threaded veins through it to teach children. His feet are quivering and they are too small. And he's, like, wriggling his toes, trying to make them grow. Um, he's got a blank expression on his face, but he's looking at her. Are you with me so far? Yeah. This is weird, right? Fucking weird. And then she feels, like, the tugging on her hair again and something pulling at it. And she's, like, trying to push it away. 
And this time it catches on her finger. What is it? A, a chain? But she like she doesn't want to lose this dream. She wants to know what's going on. What's going to happen to this man? And then she hears Dr. Lumel. And he's like, Dr. Mayfair, put down your scalpel. You don't need that anymore. And then Lark's there. And he's like, no, Dr. Mayfair, you can't use it here. And somehow she knows that they're right. It's not a matter of cutting, but construction. She's staring at this open wound and these organs that are shivering like plants, like the monstrous iris in the garden. Her mind is racing with like proper specifications as she guided the cells, explaining as she went along so that the young doctors would understand. There are sufficient cells there, you see. In fact, they exist in profusion. The important thing is to provide them a superior DNA, so to speak. A new and unforeseen incentive. And she goes on. And she's like, behold. And she's showing them. And the man's turning his head and his eyes open and shut like, like a doll. And there's applause all around her. And she's amazed to see that they're all Dutch men. And they're gathered at Leiden. And even she's wearing the big black hat and the big sleeves. Because she's, of course, in a Rembrandt painting. Sure. The anatomy lesson. I'm sure you've seen it. it I don't know. No, you you could do a quick do Google and then you'd be like, oh yeah, I've seen that before. Right. Google it. Let me Google it. Damn, Google's a picture that no one can see. But you can always can all Google it for yourself. Boom. It's one of Rembrandt. Um, the anatomy lesson. All the Dutch people. Mm-hmm. Clearly they're all Dutch. Zoom in on the body there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly what they she's describing. Mm-hmm. Sort of. And she's like, oh, that's why the body looks so perfectly neat. And no, it's... But that doesn't really explain why she can see through it. And then Dr. Lumel's like, oh, but you have the gift, my child. You are a witch. Rembrandt's there. And he's like, yeah, that's right. She's all, such a sweet old man. Sitting in the corner with his head to one side. Peter Van Abel's there. She's like, don't let Peter hear you. And this is when Peter's like, Rowan, take off the emerald. Take it off, Rowan. It's around your neck. Remove it. Hmm. She's like, the emerald? She opens her eyes. The dream is like lost its vibrancy. Objects are coming back into light. Michael's sleeping beside her. Then she feels that cold thing again. The thing that's caught in her hair. And she immediately knows what it is. She's like, oh God. She kind of screams a little bit, snatches it off of her neck. This does not wake Michael up. We know that he sleeps through everything. Yes, he does. And she breaks the chain, ripping it off of herself. Her hand is shaking uncontrollably as she's holding it. Michael's not moving. She, she's like, Lasher? She whispers, do you want to make me hate you? For a second, the dream is back as if the veil had once more been lowered. 
and all the doctors are leaving the table. And they're like, done, Rowan. Magnificent, Rowan. It's a new era. Very simply miraculous, my dear. And Peter's like, cast it away, Rowan. So she fucking throws the shit. Lands out in the hallway. She whispers again, I hate you for this. Is this what you want? And then far off, she hears like a sigh and some rustling. And she's like thinking to herself, like, didn't you believe this fucking stories? Like, why are you shaking? <laughs> this is just one of his tricks. Like the wind in the trees or making that iris move in the garden. And she's like, oh, move. It did move that, didn't it? Though maybe. And then she remembers the roses on the table and how she never did ask about them. But again, she's like, why am I so scared? She gets up, she walks out, picks up the jewel. She whispers again, but you were stupid to do this. I'll never put it on. Not now. Not of my own free will. She finds her purse, puts it into like the side zipper pocket. She's not shaking now, but her fear had alchemized perfectly to rage. And she knew she couldn't sleep anymore. That's where that part of the chapter ends. <laughs> so she had a weird dream. Yeah. The weird body, the tiny organs, and tiny feet. Lashing her head. She's making cells grow, and weird people were there. Peter Van Abel is there. The next part of the chapter picks up with. Sitting alone in the living room as the sun rose, she thought of all the old portraits at the house, the ones she'd been going through and wiping clean and preparing to hang, the very old ones she could identify, which no one else in the family could, like Charlotte and Jean Louise with her twin brother and like a, a gray-haired Marie Claudette with a little painting of Riverbend on the wall above her. All of them wore the emerald. So many paintings of that one jewel. And she's like sleepy again. And she's like dreaming again. She's like, I was dreaming, but she can't remember now. Lamel was there. She hates that guy. And then she thinks about the iris again. That Lasher made. She's like, I know your tricks. I know you made it swell and break it from its stem. She's like, nobody really understands how much power you have. You make whole leaves sprout from the stem of a dead rose. Where do you get your handsome from when you appear? And why won't you do it for me? Are you afraid I'll scatter you to the four winds and you'll never have the strength to gather yourself again? And then she's dreaming, imagining the flower changing and the cells actually multiplying and mutating. Were they? Or unless it's just a trick, like putting the necklace on her. But isn't everything a trick? And then Lark's talking again in her dream. He's like, well, boys and girls, we've done all of our tricks, haven't we? What would have happened if she had tried a couple of her own? Like telling the cells of that dying man to multiply, to mutate, to restructure. 
But she didn't know then. She still doesn't know how far she can go. And she's dreaming. Everyone's walking through the halls at Linden. You know what they did to Michael Severtis in Calvinist Geneva when he accurately described the circulation of blood in 1553. They burn him at the stake and all his heretical books with him. Be careful, Dr. Van Abel. Says, I'm not a witch. Of course, none of us are. It's a matter of constantly reevaluating our concept of natural principles. She's like, there's nothing natural about those roses. And now the air in the room is like moving in a way that it's like catching the curtains and making them dance. And the papers on the coffee table in front of her are lifting. Tendrils of her hair are lifting. It's one of his tricks and she didn't want this dream anymore. Do the patients in Linden always get up and walk away after the anatomy lesson? But you won't dare show yourself, will you? That's the end of the this part of the chapter. <laughs> so she moves down to the couch and has an, a continuation of this weird quote-unquote dream. Are we in Florida or are we back at First Street? We're back at First Street because they are on their way home at the end of chapter 36. Okay, just making sure. Was that a, what, was that a spider? That was a little spider moving in on you. Oh, I didn't even see him. <laughs> He's way little. The last part of this chapter starts with, she met Ryan at 10 o'clock and told him all about the plans for the marriage. Trying to make it matter-of-fact and definite so as to invite as few questions as possible. And first thing she does after that is ask Ryan, can he, he please take the fucking emerald and put it in some sort of vault? Just lock it away where no one can possibly get it. And he's like, of course, but Rowan, there are several things I ought to explain to you. This legacy is very old. You have to have a little patience now. The rules and the rubrics, so to speak, are quaint and bizarre, but nevertheless explicit. I'm afraid you are required to wear the emerald at the wedding. She's like, what the fuck? He's like, the point of following the things to the letter is, and always has been, to avoid even the remotest possibility of anyone ever challenging the inheritance at any point in its history. And with a personal fortune of this size and this, and he goes on. She's like, fuck, Lasher won this round. Lasher knew the terms of this legacy, didn't he? He had simply given her the appropriate wedding present. And he's like, oh, I'll have, I'll have this chain repaired for you, too. Seems to be broken. The last little part of this chapter begins. It was one o'clock when she reached First Street. With lunch and a little brown sack. Two sandwiches and a couple of bottles of Dutch beer. Michael's all excited. They found a treasure of New Orleans red bricks under the earth. On the back lot. They're beautiful. The kind they don't make anymore. They can build a new gatepost with this. They also found a stash of old blueprints in the attic. They look like the original plans, Michael's. Like they may have been drawn by Darcy himself. Like, they're all fragile. I left them up there. Let's go. <laughs> Come on. Oh, what's the matter? 
And she's like, of course he notices. Something's the matter. She doesn't want to tell him she has to wear the damn thing at the wedding. Everything else would go right out the window. He'd go crazy. And she couldn't bear to see him be, like, scared again. Or agitated and weak. She's like, no, nothing's wrong. I was just downtown all morning. You know, lawyers. I missed you. She threw her arms around him and nuzzled her head under his chin. So I really, really missed you. And that is the end of chapter 37. <laughs> Lasher puts a necklace around Rowan's neck. The necklace. Gives her a weird dream. Pisses her off. She vows never to wear the necklace again. And then she's told that in order to get the legacy, she has to wear the necklace at her wedding. Yeah. What else didn't she read? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, it's a lot. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. Very convenient that, you know. So, yeah, I I, I agree with Ron. Her last year didn't know what the fuck he was doing. He's like, they're going to tell her this tomorrow. So, what do, you, do you think he wants to piss her off? Or do you think he just doesn't understand? I don't know. Just part of what he's been doing for how long, I guess. I think he's been deliberately putting it on them. All of them, of them. Yeah. How the fuck did he like? How did that get in the legacy? Like in the. In... He brings coins and jewels to yeah. them all the time. Flowers appear at the grave. These are yeah. things we've known. Yes, one of those witches in the past wrote it in. You must do this. Or is it a thing that he can already do because he's like some type of weird demon spirit? I don't know. Thing. Being. Oh, he's got short yep. chapters. Short chapters, yeah. And then uh, there's only two more chapters in this part. This is going to be a pretty short episode. The next one will be longer. And that'll be the end of part three coming to my parlor. We didn't get into a parlor yet. The parlor's in the house. Yeah, I guess so. Rowan's in it in like one scene. Yeah. In like chapter 33 yeah. when she's like picking out drapes. But it's, we still have two chapters. And then part four. The Devil's Bride. Oh shit. So we know we got a wedding coming up. So there's that. Ah, working our way on through this book. So, yeah, next week, chapter 38 and chapter 39. Hopefully, we'll, we'll get it all into one episode. We'll see. Um, listeners, if there's anything you have to say about this wonderful book or anything in the Anne Rice universe at all, if you just want to pop in, say hi, if you want to tell us you hate us and we're doing everything wrong, we'll accept that too. <laughs> you can email us at themayfairwitchcast at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at mayfaircast we'd love to hear from you for any reason at all so until we do or until next week thank you very much for listening and we'll see you guys then bye bye